0: artists and executives alike don't don't realize the music business it should is better titled the catalog business. So when you go to a label, you have to understand they're not in the music business. They are in the catalog business. Catalog is the exact equivalent to real estate. Catalog appreciates the same way real estate does. The more you own, the better appreciation you have, the more rights you have, the more you can make money off, off of this product. Again. Whoa, whoa,
1: yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. hey guys, we're back with a brand new Making the Boss. On this episode, I have a great conversation with music executive and founder of NPR Global, Jr. McKee, who's helped countless independent artists reach massive success in the biz. We talk about the power of streaming, what artists should look out for from major labels, mistakes artists often make, and so much more. Listen here. Who is... J.R. McKee? Like, what exactly is it that you do? So,
0: I am an entrepreneur and I am a music executive. Um, so, I was an entrepreneur first. My friends, you know, just hanging around in college. My friends wanted to rap, you know, that's everybody, right? But mm. these <laughs> these guys messed around and got a record deal. They really did it, you know? And so, mm. they took me with them. Um, I didn't have any any industry knowledge at all. And so, but what it turned out to be is I, I ended up being a manager. I didn't know that at the time, but that's just the role I was playing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and so so from that, I kind of learned what the music industry was and I decided I wanted to be a part of it. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty much why I'm, I've been an entrepreneur in the music industry for the past 18 years, been, you know, ultra successful, sold 160 million units um, over mm-hmm. my 18 years, um, have broken numerous amounts amounts of artists, and and majority of it doing it independent. Um, and right. so that's that's pretty much my story. And then the the last little piece I will add to my story of of who I am is definitely an educator. Um, mm-hmm. the, the last since like about the pandemic, I've been you know putting out so much content, just giving people the game about what's happening at the labels. You know how to take advantage of the tools that are out there so they can have leverage when they go to the labels. And so I've just been really educating the artists for the past three years now. That's that's really my passion is to make sure that they have the leverage that I kind of was forced to create because I couldn't get a record deal early on, so I was mm-hmm. forced to be independent. And that, yeah, that, and that's you know that's that was my foundation. And so I've been independent ever since. And so you know, I, I because of that, I've obtained an amount of wealth that my peers, you know, just weren't able to obtain because they were always inside the record label. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, I want to make sure everybody else has that same leverage. And that started with educating
1: them. Okay, yeah, I do want to get into all of that because I'm glad you brought that up. I do. I I got the sense that you do want to give as much knowledge as you can, especially to like um, independent artists who really don't know, you know, what they're doing if they're doing if what they're doing is you know correct. So I do want to dive into all that for sure. Um, But yeah, you said you got your start when you were. "Quote unquote," a manager of your friend's group. What what, what was the group called? Like, what was okay. the?
0: So I, I don't know. I don't know how old you are. Where were you? Where you live at?
1: I'm from Brooklyn, but I live in LA.
0: Okay. Okay. So this might have went over your head. Okay. So it was, it was a record. It was a, a group called Cadillac, Dunn, and J Money, and there was a song called "Inside Peanut Butter, Outside Jelly," and it was one okay. of the biggest songs in, in the country at the time. But it it, it was based out of the South. So it's definitely like okay. a Southern classic, but yeah, I don't know if New York was really on it.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, that kind of sounds familiar. So I feel like yeah. I probably heard it. Cause I do listen to like a lot of, you know, Southern rappers and stuff. So probably.
0: Yeah. You might, you might've heard it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if it was that big. I I feel like I definitely did. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to so, say, so, so uh-huh. Todd Moskowitz is actually, actually who signed us, who later on down in my, later on down the line of my career, actually, um, ended up working for Todd Moskowitz um, some some years, years later. So, yeah, so it was a full circle moment with him. Mm-hmm.
1: That's really cool. So what exactly, like, what were the different positions you've worked in the music industry? Because I feel like you've done a few.
0: Yes. Well, so I started as a manager again. I didn't know that term. I just was helping my friends and, you know, honestly living a lifestyle, I want to with them having fun Mm -hmm. with making sure the business was taken care of. Um, But but from that, I saw, I mean, we came home broke. We came home with nothing once that run was over. Um, And, you know, I just, you know, as an entrepreneur, I always break down the business. And so I saw, you know, the the record label is the person who made all the money. And so I started Mm -hmm. a record label. So I've always been a label owner. Um, And then more recently, um, around 2019, I basically coined the term streaming executive because we had went from the music business to really the streaming business. And I recognized that. And, and all of my peers were working at the uh, streaming company. So I had peers inside of Spotify. I had peers inside of Apple. And early on, when they first when they first started, they were training us. They, were, they would bring us in and they would teach the executives how it works. But then also on the flip side of that, they would get advice from us on, you know, what the artists need. And so they were mm-hmm. building their tools early on but from that, I was like, OK, I know how to I know how to win at their algorithms. because I, I, That was my first time even understanding or hearing the algorithms was being inside those yeah. DSPs. Um, and so at that moment, I was also about to get married. And so I was telling uh, Joey IE, who was Ty, my Swiss partner, I was like, hey, man, I, re- I really figured out this streaming thing. He was like, man, you should talk to Ty. Ty's looking for a streaming person. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, I was like, I just changed my title to the streaming executive. And so that's mm-hmm. how the entire reconnected. And so I've been a manager, a labor owner, and I've held one position as a streaming executive um, under Alamo Records.
1: Yeah. So what exactly is the job description of a streaming executive? What exactly do you do with that? So
0: again, it's something that I coined, but all, mm-hmm. all it really meant was I understood the streaming business because it was Mm -hmm. totally different from the music business. In the music business, um, we really had a monopoly because we controlled TV, we controlled radio. So it was really about grooming that artist and making a hit. If you can groom the artist and make a hit, then you can have big success. But in the streaming business, we didn't have we didn't have access to any of that because nobody watched TV no more. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. listened to radio no more. So it's like, dad, how do you break an artist now? um and because now it was completely in the fans hands if they didn't like it they didn't have to listen to it they just go on to the next thing and (laughs) so a streaming executive was a person who understood how to break an artist in that atmosphere where the fans Mm -hmm. were in control and so that's Mm -hmm. what a streaming executive was and for for ty Moskowitz, it was also the relationships that i had because again all of my closest friends were running um the stores you know we weren't using cd stores anymore we're using digital stores, Apple, Spotify, Tidal. And so I had all of those relationships. And so he saw that as a big plus. And it did turn out to be a huge benefit for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when streaming was very new, it seems like a lot of people were hesitant and even scared about it. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
0: They they were. I mean, you know, anytime change comes, people, you know, they they get very scared. They don't understand it. They wanted to go back to the old way. Yeah. But there are so many pros in the new way. And this is, this is also at that very same time when I started educating people. Because I was like, yo, this is our chance. I was mm-hmm. like, this is the opportunity that independent artists never had before. Because before, if you didn't go to Universal or Sony or Warner, you wasn't going to make it. But now mm-hmm. you have complete control. Nobody can stop you from blowing up now. You can put out your own music um, and go on, go on Instagram because this is before TikTok. Go on Instagram and, and make good content, and you can really blow your own song up and spread it. So it's like this was our major opportunity, and so that's when I started preaching. I won't call it preaching, but you know, that's when I started talking on the internet, telling like, "Hey, like now is the time. This is the best time it's ever been to be an independent artist." And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. was just- you saw the vision. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely saw it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you worked with so many artists in your career. Um, like you said, um, a lot of independent artists as well. And one of the first people that comes to mind is K-Camp. Yeah. I know you also used to work with him. And I remember like at the height of the pandemic, I remember Renegade like going viral on TikTok. Oh. Yeah. And that was like major like what do you what did you have a a role in that at all like what did you feel when that was happening like do you well, remember that moment
0: first and foremost I, I was super excited um <laughs> I, I was super excited for him I, I did not have a role in it me and camp I started with camp from the beginning like so mm-hmm. I, I signed camp to my record label and I want to say 2011 or 2012 and so we were together for about a year and a half Pushing really hard before we got our first hit, which is Money Baby, um, mm-hmm. and so and we went on a string, you know, Money Baby, Cutter Off, Slum Anthem, Comfortable, Blessings, um, One Hundred. I went on a string of just platinum records, but we stopped working together in 2015, and the song you're talking about happened in 2019. And mm-hmm. what, what what was so beautiful about that is how we just said a second ago. Now in 2000, back before 2015, when we were breaking K Camp, it was we had full control. All we needed mm-hmm. was a hit and Camp delivered money, baby. We were out of here. You know what I mean? But by mm-hmm. 2019, it was in the fans' hands. And so what Camp did that was so special was he just kept putting out music that whole time. That's a four year gap. But that whole yeah. time he was putting out music and then uh, the right fan came along four years later with the latest song he had put out, made a dance to it and ended up becoming the biggest dance friend ever on TikTok. And so mm-hmm. when I when I saw it, I was just so happy. I'm like, that's why you never quit. You never quit. (laughs) You always keep going because you don't know when God's going to change your life again. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So that actually was his seventh platinum record. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really amazing because even before that, like you said, like he was working like way before TikTok was even a thing. And then like when the kids discovered Renegade, they just like took took it it to to a whole level. Yeah. At that moment, would you say that you saw TikTok as being like a good... Something that could be a good um tool for marketing, or yeah. did you just think it was like, oh, this is fun? But you know, you didn't see a feature really.
0: No, so I have to give credit to my partner, um, Drew De Leon. So Drew is my partner in my new business, NPR uh, Music Power Respect. Um, mm-hmm. and so Drew, me, and him both worked at Alamo at the time, and so we were working Ride Wave. And mm-hmm. so what Drew did that was so brilliant was Ride Wave. Was a content creator, but not a short form content creator. He put all of his life on YouTube, long form Mm -hmm. content. And Drew and his team would take all of that long form, chop it up, and put it on TikTok. And so while I was pushing the song at the DSPs, and you know we were helping move Rod around, um, Alamos helping move Rod around, Drew was taking all that content, put it on TikTok. And I remember Rod did an interview. And they asked him about his TikTok. And he said, I don't have a TikTok. And at, <laughs> at, at that moment during that interview, Ride Wave's TikTok actually had over a million followers. And it was the Aww. same content that had came from his YouTube channel. We just cut it and took it into short form. And so that's my partner Drew. So that was brilliant. But from that is when I saw the power. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh wow, like this is this is the next wave. This is what we need to be focused on. is content. Yeah. Short form content. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about your company, Money, Power, Respect. I love that um, yeah, global. Music, um, music, Power, Respect. Oh, Music, Power, Respect. Got yeah. it. So, yeah, let's talk about that. What services do you provide to um, independent artists?
0: So we are a distribution company. And okay. so I started it after um, exiting Alamo. Um, I was at Alamo for 18 months. And so I started after exiting Alamo because I really um uh, Excuse me, what a lot of people weren't aware of is is Alamo had, was also running on an independent platform as well as mm-hmm. a universal platform. So artists okay. like Rod wave was starting on an independent platform. Um and so what that means is he doesn't have the full power of the building behind him. He doesn't have mm-hmm. those extra ten, fifteen, twenty people working on it. It was just about four of us. It was myself, the product manager. Drew, um, and and the guy who ran the independent platform, the independent mm. distribution company, right? And so we blew Ride Wave up on that platform, and so I, that that showed me I was like, man, like the way that it's going now, we don't even need this big label. I was like, we can just take this and do this ourselves. So I said, hey, Drew. I said, what what would be the difference if we did this again, but instead we own the records? You know what I mean? We we got a percentage of the records, and so that was my pitch to him. And so I asked how, because Drew had been in the system his whole career. And so that's mm-hmm. my question. I said, I said, I, I said, I'm positive we can go do this again right now. But instead, it'd be on our platform and we have a percentage of it versus, you know, our salary that we're getting right now. That's always what mm-hmm. my mind says, entrepreneur, but I had to convince him because he had been yeah. in the system his, his career. So anyway, it worked. And so <laughs> we, we started the company and signed our first artist May of 2021. <clears throat> we put out our first artist music, July of 2021, and by December 30th, 2021, we had the biggest song in the world, "Money Long Hours and Hours." Wow! That's, that record is now multi-platinum, but it was the mm-hmm. same formula. It was exactly what we did with Ride Wave, exactly what we did with Little Dirk, but now we just did it with a female R&B artist.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so, did you expect? Um, her her song hours and hours to blow up as quickly as it did since you were
0: when something happens to your kitchen you might say this is ludicrous but that won't fix your home that will only get you the rapper ludicrous having trouble don't panic don't be alarmed you need to file a claim holler at state farm like a good neighbor state farm is there that's right you can
1: file a claim on the app or call us
0: Thanks, Mr. Chris.
1: No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. That's still a new company or? Well, well, we, the,
0: the company name was new, but we weren't new. You know, there, mm-hmm. there was really nothing new about us. It was just a new name on on, uh, on a cover, I guess. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the song in particular itself, hours and hours, it shows signs the day after it came out. I knew that it was a hit um mm. because with streaming normally the song comes out the first day as a high stream number and then it begins to dip from there you know that's 99.999 percent of the time but mm. hours and hours it came out went up the first day of course um that's where large streaming and then it went up even more the second day that doesn't happen yeah so that was all I, that was all it took i saw that i saw oh, it's a hit And that (laughs) just doesn't happen. And so from there, it was all like, I remember we were getting ready to put out a different video. I switched the video. I said, no, we're going to put out hours and hours video. Um, And I just started going full steam, calling everybody. I actually, I remember the song hadn't been out a week. I called Todd Moss, I said, hey, man, I got a hit. I said, because the reason I called him, I said, does it still make sense to go to radio? I was like, I know I got a hit. I just need to know, should I go to radio or not? And the song hadn't even been out a week. But I, wow. I, because I had done so many number one big records, I know what it looks like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. And so when I saw the analytics, I already knew right there. I said, "This is a hit record." Um. So yes,
1: the day after it came out. I knew before it came out.
0: I can't say that I knew.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. It really just blew up. Um practically like overnight, like you said, and it yeah. kept going higher and higher day by day. So congrats yeah. on that for sure. Thank you. Um, What other artists do you work with? Do you also work with LaRusso? Yes. So
0: LaRusso is somebody that
1: I have been watching for a
0: few months and I had actually even DM'd him maybe three <laughs> times. I had DM'd him. I left a comment, <laughs> you know, to the, the check your DM comment. Yeah. All that for like three <laughs> months. And then maybe on month four, he DM'd me one of my pieces of content, and he was like, "Man, I love your content." I'm like, "Bro, I've been trying to get with you for, <laughs> my for yeah, but but that but that's also the power of content. Like because I do give away so much, it always seems to come back to me. And so he mm-hmm. saw one of my pieces of content, and went down a rabbit hole on my page, and just loved you know what I was preaching to artists because me and him were basically preaching the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that. We were able to eventually work out a deal for me to put out um, his first uh, studio album that he had put out in a long time because a lot of his music he was recording live and putting it mm-hmm. out. But so this was his first studio album, and we were able we were able to go direct to consumer, uh, meaning instead of going to like the, the instead of going to Spotify and streaming platforms, we went straight to the fans and said, "Here you can buy the music and just stream it on our platform." Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I want to say. In six days of putting up that album on the platform, the platform is actually called Even. Let me give them their credit. Um, in six days of putting up that album on Even, we made $150,000 off that album. Wow. Which, mind you, to make $150,000 in streaming, you would have to stream about 43 million streams.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And
0: so That is you know,
1: huge.
0: And so we made... A, so we made before that album even came out, we had made $150,000. And so he's just one of those people that's helped improve prove the industry wrong. Like, mm-hmm. anything is possible, independent. And that's that's one of the things that I was so proud about Money Long is us able to prove, like, no, you can be number one. You can stream more than anybody in the world by yourself. You don't need to go to the major label. And we were able mm-hmm. to do that with her. So I was very proud of that. Like, me and him have just always been trying to make sure people understand you can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's how Yeah, because
1: yeah. I feel like a lot of young artists or, you know, up-and-coming artists, they feel like they don't really have a choice but to be signed. But I yeah. think, like, as time goes on, they're starting to realize, no, I could do something, and that could make people come to me instead, you yeah.
0: know? Yeah, yeah. And even if you do want to basically do a situation, you can build a leverage first versus getting in there and trying to get them to build you up. Um, and another just well-kept secret is even once you do sign, they're still going to sit back and wait for you to build yourself up. So you might as Mm. well build yourself up first. So that deal looks totally different.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so I actually did interview LaRusso like a couple of weeks yeah. ago about, um, good company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And he basically like, you guys are basically saying the exact same stuff, same like thought process and everything, but you did say a quote, um, you basically, it was along the lines of, um, in order to make money in the music business, you have to become the label. So yeah. like, can you, um, expound on that? Well-
0: Well, what that means is you have to have ownership and control over your product. Um, Music is a product, right? And Mm -hmm. artists have to understand that and they have to understand the moment they start selling it, they are now a business. And so that's the the two big mysteries to artists is they don't realize, A, this music is a product and B, I am a business. And and so they Mm -hmm. miss those two parts. And so that as a label owner, it's impossible to miss that because that's the definition of the label. You're a mm-hmm. business owner selling a product. Your product just happens to be music. And so I want to make sure people understand in order to make money, you have to be a label. That doesn't mean you have to start, you know, um, big Mike labels, LLC, but you do have to start your own, your own business entity. Um, whether it be a label title or not, you have to have a business entity because you are a business. And so Mm -hmm. I just want people to understand that first and foremost, because then they begin to treat themselves like a business. Even the definition of entrepreneurship, it says to own and operate. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. miss the operate part. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not just, oh, I own it. How are you operating? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and so you have to, you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. You have to have a budget. That's operations. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of artists, they just look at the ownership part, but they forget the definition is own and operate you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and so I'm just here to make sure they don't miss it you know what <laughs> I mean? and then yeah. to be able to teach them you know what that looks like uh-uh. <clears throat> because another thing that artists and executives alike don't don't realize the music business it should is better titled the catalog business that is that is a more appropriate title for it. Um, a perfect example to help people understand that is when people look at McDonald's, Mm. they have to understand that McDonald's is not in the burger business. McDonald's is in the real estate business. Okay. So when you go to Mm. a label, you have to understand they're not in the music business. They are in the catalog business. Catalog is the exact equivalent to real estate. The the more you own, because catalog appreciates the same way real estate does. The more you own, um, the better the the more you own, the better appreciation you have, the more rights you have, the more you can make money off off of this product, right? I even for a perfect example, K Camp himself. K Camp has had two records blow up on TikTok um that were old records. It was catalog music. He had Slum Anthem and he had Can I cuss on here? Yeah. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so he had Slum Anthem and he had Good Weed, Bad Bitch. These are two mm-hmm. songs that came out over 10 years ago. But guess what's happening to them right now? They're blowing up on TikTok. But yeah. the thing is most people don't own their catalog, so that means nothing to them because that's the label making money. And that that's that's why that's why the catalog is so important. Another another thing to focus on is most of the world still isn't streaming yet. And so mm-hmm. yeah. if you're making a hundred thousand dollars now with only 40% of the world streaming, imagine 10 years down the line when 80% of the world is streaming, that 100 goes mm-hmm. to 200. It's real estate. It appreciates. And so mm-hmm. we're really in the catalog business. And it, it, all of this stuff goes over the artist's head because they're not seeing it from the highest level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? and, and so yeah. because I am, and because I understand it, it's my job to make sure when I leave, they understand it.
1: Mm hmm. That's an amazing analogy. I never heard of that before. Like, that makes complete sense. Yes. Yeah. So do you feel like, um, do you see, like, traditional music labels eventually dying out?
0: I don't see them dying out because there will always be a need for marketing. Um, And so even if an artist can deliver the music themselves, they may not be great at marketing. And so that's something that the label can offer them. That the mm-hmm. label can say, you know, we have great marketers, we know how to we know how to help you reach the masses, as well as they have funds. You know, and yeah. so because because they have those two things, I don't see them dying out. But then also way more important than what they can offer you, they are cash flow giants. Like mm-hmm. the catalog that these labels own are giant. And so mm-hmm. with them owning. You know, ninety-five percent of the catalog is is inconceivable that they get ever. They can never sign another artist again and still make billions every year for the rest of eternity. So, go yeah. out of business. No, you know what I mean. Their their catalog alone is gonna keep them profitable for life.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So, in this day and age, where basically, like you said, like an artist doesn't need to be signed in order to make music, you know make money off of their music. Do you feel like like how do you de- decipher between someone who's serious about becoming a successful artist versus someone who's just looking for like the easy way? Oh, let me just put this on a streaming platform and, you know, see if it makes money. Like how do you decide,
0: you know? So the 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 analogy I always use to try to like keep it simple is I would rather sign the artist that has 10 videos with only 1,000 views on them than sign an artist that has one video with 100,000 views. Because the person that has 10 videos is working much harder than the person that has one. You know, and, and so that's what it comes down to. Is like, when I, when I look at an artist, I look at how much work are they putting in right now? Are they doing the things it takes to be successful in today's world, which is number one, making the music and releasing it. And then number two, making content around that music. And so for me, you know, those are the two, those are the keys. It's like, are they already doing it themselves? Then that, that makes it easy for me to believe in them. But, you know, a person who just says, Hey, I'm really good at music, um, but doesn't have any content to show for it. Then, you know, I, I would, I would be worried. And even if they only have one thing and it went viral, I'm gonna go back and look. And I was like, well, where's all the rest of the stuff? And mm-hmm. that's an automatic sign. Like, okay, no, nah, I don't, don't do that. He called one to be lucky, but he's not working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because with the internet, everybody can get lucky. You know, Mm -hmm. that's TikTok was geared for luck. You know, so Mm -hmm. so yeah. So for me, it's just about them already putting in the work at a high level without the help. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about your new book, the Ten Artist Commandments. Um, what it's inspired you to do that? Because I know, again, you do like to educate, but a book is like you know another. Thing.
0: <laughs> right, I mean, because I, I I've been successful in so many different eras. Like, I started in a MySpace era and was successful in that era. Then, you know, Facebook came along and we we lost MySpace, and so we really had to go into the streets again because Facebook wasn't really built for artists. So we had to go in the streets again. Um, then Instagram came, so I broke artists doing MySpace. Facebook, I broke artists in the street. Instagram, I broke an artist on Instagram. Then TikTok came along. I broke an artist on TikTok. But the thing is, what I realized, I was like, it's really not even about the social media air why these artists are winning. It's something with them. Like, like. just for example, an artist right now that's complaining about making content on TikTok, that same artist would have complained five years ago about having to go do radio shows. They would have found Mm. something to complain about. And so it's basically a set of values and a set of principles that have made these artists over all these eras successful in their era. And so I, I really just sat down and said, okay, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's coming after TikTok. But what I do know is there are about 10 things an artist must have no matter what comes next to be able to be successful. Because I've seen these artists in different eras be successful. And this is what they had in common. Like, this is what they all had within them and principles they lived by. And so I was like, man, like, I really can give people timeless advice on how to be successful. So no matter what is going on, no matter what comes next or what comes after that, if you follow these 10 principles, you're going to be successful. And so that Mm -hmm. was the basis of the book. Um, And it just came. I read a lot of books. I'm just... And not because I wrote this book, but I read it and I was like, "Oh my God!" Like <laughs> this, I was like, "Yo, this is gonna change some people's lives," you know. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I I very uh very I sound very proud of it. And I, I gave mm-hmm. it to a lot of executives, a lot of artists. and just got that honest feedback, and they all said it. You know, um, pretty much they've never read anything like it, where it applies to any art. They was like. I gave it to some actors. I gave it to some executives. I gave it to some, you know, musicians. And it was like, man, it really applied to any type of art. You could be a painter and read this book. You could be an author and read this book um, because it's, it's really about the principles, you know. And so I'm very excited to release it. It comes out September 16th on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> That'll be a great birthday yeah. gift
1: for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the 10 commandments right now actually. Um and they really can they could be applied to a lot of different industries, not even just, you know, music.
0: Yeah, I mean it's like for take take for example, um the first commandment tell the truth. The the basis of tell the truth is anytime you're trying to make a connection with somebody, you have to understand people attract to people who they view similar to them who they they feel have had the same aff- affliction as them or, or can empathize with the affliction that they're having and so the basis of building connection with people is vulnerability mm. and you cannot be vulnerable if you are not telling the truth you have to right. you have to go you have to go into yourself and say okay what can i share that I wouldn't normally share with everybody because it feels too vulnerable to share. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And the moment you humanize yourself to, to the audience, the moment that's the moment they fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. And so if you live by that principle of I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to tell the truth, you can be successful in making a connection with people. And that's for any industry, that's for an advertiser, a marketer, a artist, an author. It's all about telling the truth, telling your story. And so, I, I, again, I agree with you. Like, it can apply to anyone. It, it's it's a simple principle that means the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like, when, when you said that, it made me think of artists who are, you know, just more gimmicky and they're yeah. not really authentic. Those are the ones who tend to fade out after, that, like, a couple of that- years. Yeah.
0: yeah, you look at an artist like a Cardi B who was authentic from the beginning and who yeah. was still here. Cardi B is, of course, not the best rapper. You know, and of course, she doesn't make the best music. But what she does have is she was authentic and vulnerable from the beginning, even before mm-hmm. the teeth. I remember when she had the bad teeth. Yeah. She hid <laughs> her teeth. She was authentic about her teeth. She was authentic. I she never heard that she was a stripper. She never heard anything. Mm-hmm. She was vulnerable about everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's lasted, I, I think, at this point, maybe she's coming in on 12 13 years because she was vulnerable mm-hmm. from the beginning she told the truth from the beginning and that's how you start a career
1: right right because people will have more of a emotional connection to you yeah for sure okay one of the things that one of the commandments I mean all of them stand out but the main one that stands out to me is sell early mm-hmm. um can you elaborate on that because this also reminds me of the combo with la Russell and he said that too and I was like wait but don't you want to like have your, you know, don't you not want to sell as early? Don't you want to keep it? And he was like, no, <laughs> like you do want to sell early. So can you talk okay. about that?
0: Okay. So sell early is speaking to anybody that has begun to build a fan base. When you have a fan base and, and you don't, <clears throat> and you don't, um, how can I put it? When you have a fan base and you don't begin to show them early that you need their support monetarily, well, what can happen, and that has happened many a times, I've seen it. A artist who doesn't begin putting out merch from the beginning, a artist who, a artist who doesn't, you know, begin selling their music from the beginning—I mean, like physically selling it—what happens is they will get a hit record. Mm-hmm. Everybody will be playing this record. They had the biggest record in the country, and then they try to drop the merch but their fans haven't been trained to be consumers. And so yeah. nobody buys it. So that's why as, as an artist, the moment you get a hundred people in your community, you need to sell something where it's only five, five pieces of it. You know what I'm saying? And okay. so that's what sell early means. It's like, so for, for example, if I was an artist and I was, you know, homeless and all I had was this backpack, right? Then mm-hmm. I I get my first hundred fans. I'm going to say, Hey, <clears throat> I remember when I was walking on the streets and this backpack was the only thing I had, I had five made just like it. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to sell them to whoever gives me the best offer. You know, I'm going to sell an offer base. which was something Russell came up with. I'm going to mm-hmm. sell an offer base. Everybody send me their offer. I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to five of you guys. From that moment, they understand, Hey, we're going to support him. You know what I mean? And he'll mm-hmm. never, that, that type of artist will never have a problem selling a ticket selling merch, selling music. And that is what Willa Russell did. From yeah. day one, he's been selling merch. And so when we came to sell that album, it wasn't a shock to his fans that we were gonna sell that album. That's why we sold 150,000 of them because they mm-hmm. already knew, like, I'm here to support this guy, the way this guy adds value to my life. And so mm-hmm. that's that's why sell early is so important. Even even myself as an executive, if I tried to put on, you know, a, a, what do they call them, a conference, and I've never done it before. My ticket sales are going to be highly low. But if I start small and I say, hey, I'm I'm putting on a class for 25 people and get those 25 people in the room, show that proof of concept. The next time I can do 50 people. The next mm-hmm. time I can do 100 because I've shown people that, hey, this is we're we're going to be able to get value out of him in this way. This is going to cost us this. I've trained them to be a consumer of my business. You know? Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah it sounds simple but most artists miss that step and they end mm-hmm. up missing being able to monetize their brand correctly and so yeah. that's
1: why that's why that's in there and that's why that's so important
0: because this is something that people don't even think about
1: yeah until like it's probably too late it's to too even late. You,
0: you do it you've blown up and none of your fan bases used to be buying anything from you and so of course they are not going to buy something now mm-hmm
1: yeah that makes sense. So I that would also apply to um like selling your masters too. Then I would assume. Well, right?
0: selling your masters is, is by far a personal choice because, it, well, it's a personal choice, but it's a business choice because if you are a very astute business person, you would only be selling it in order to buy something else. If that makes okay. sense. To you. So it's like yeah. again, a catalog business is just like real estate business. If you remember playing Monopoly. I don't know if I got the colors right, but you get 3 green houses and you trade them in for a hotel. Mm-hmm. All right, so real estate is the same thing. I buy 4 single family houses, I trade them in and I get a 16 unit building. You know what I mean? I get mm-hmm. a second 16 unit building. I trade both of them in I get a 64 unit building. Well, masters mm-hmm. is the same way. If I sell these masters um for, you know, 10 million, it better be because I have a 16 unit building over here waiting. You know what I mean? And so so and this this is just for the astute entrepreneur businessman. Don't 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 sell those masters just to have that ten million sitting in your bank account. Because number one, you're gonna get taxed like crazy. But number yeah. two, you just lost a huge revenue stream. Stream and cash yeah. flow is king. Business music business is the best cash flow business ever because it has no maintenance. You don't yeah. have there's zero maintenance with music. Once it's out there, it's done. It's income for life. Children's life, your grandchildren's life every yeah down the line and and so it would be very foolish to give up that revenue stream for a lump sum if I don't have a plan for that lump sum, mm,
1: yeah, that makes sense okay um what are you what are some of the mistakes that you see artists, whether they're new artists or even seasoned artists make in the industry in terms of their business and ownership
0: yes and and so um that's another one of the commandments and the Tenar's commandments is lawyer up.
1: You yeah, can't, number you can't seven.
0: make any moves. <laughs> you can't make any moves before you have a lawyer. Not a single move because the management contract, the lawyer needs to look over it. Any any contract you like, usually the first thing artists gets is a manager. That's usually the first new person that joins their team. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they'll get a manager before they get a lawyer. But Mm -hmm. they have to get that lawyer first because the management contract, that manager might own your master's now because you never never looked over it. That manager might say, I get 40% of every show you get. But you never had a lawyer look over it. So the lawyer has to come first. And the music business is definitely the only business that people think they can get in it without a financial um, commitment. You have to have that money saved up for your lawyer before you start in this business. Because you don't want to mm-hmm. talk to nobody about any contracts until your lawyer is on retainer and is looking over those contracts for you. And so mm-hmm. the biggest mistake is for sure not having that lawyer. And then also, some people have a lawyer, but they think, oh, this is a small contract. I'm going to just go ahead and sign this to myself. I know your lawyer looks over every contract. It's so much money lost to people because they didn't look over the fine print. you know? Yeah. And so... I think it's commandment number eight or seven. But seven. It's lawyer yeah. is number seven. Lawyer mm-hmm. up, and so that's one of the biggest mistakes I see them make is lawyer first every time.
1: Hmm. Okay. So, what are some things that um you teach on your real um real industry plugs podcast?
0: Yes. Yeah, so that was a <laughs>
1: podcast
0: with me and my brother Boom Man, and it was really more like a debate podcast because Boom Man. Believed that artists should sign to label and use the label as a bank. And I told um, him, I said, no, artists should <laughs> stay independent and gain leverage before they go into that deal. Because he always wants to get a deal right out the gate. He wants to sign artists, then go get a deal. I'm like, no, I'm I'm going to build leverage first. And so it started off like that, just us having that argument, which I'm pretty sure I won. It started <laughs> off with just us having that argument, like independent artists. Need to learn the game for themselves. And then they need to experience the game for themselves. I always tell people it's the skilled artist that's going to win. And skill is talent plus experience. And so Mm -hmm. you can't just be talented. You need the experience of what is it like being a manager? What is it like making my own cover art? What is it like recording myself? What is it like taking a call for booking? Because once people start doing this for you, they can never get over on you. Because you already know mm-hmm. what it's like. You walk down that road yourself. And so they can't mm-hmm. tell you, oh, it's going to cost this. Bro, I, I know what it costs. I did it. Yeah. My, I know what it costs. You're not finna. And so you have to <laughs> have that knowledge. You have to You have to have that experience. And so that's what we were talking about on Real Energy Plug. It's just the artists understand that you have to gain experience before you go dealing with doing deals in this business. Because these yeah. people will walk all over you. They can't wait to take advantage of you because it's the catalog business. And just imagine seeing an artist, and this artist is the equivalent, you know, of twenty million dollars. Hey man, I'm gonna get this artist fifty thousand dollars. That's gonna get them out the hood. They gonna give me everything. Two mm-hmm. years later, I'm twenty million up, and they probably done made about three hundred thousand in shows on the road. Yeah. And so I see the difference. So it's like I don't, I don't want artists to have to experience that. As they have in the past, I want them to at least mm-hmm. get half of that twenty million. So okay, yeah. you can be ten million up, and I'm ten million up. You know, right? And so that's that's the game plan. And so that's when we talk about real industry plugs. That's what we were talking about, as well as we were talking about, as well as we were bringing on people who the industry, who the general public didn't know about, because a lot of people just see the names on the wall, but they don't know the per- the people who work inside of those inside of those buildings. And so I wanted to bring those people onto the podcast. So they can be able to hear from them and they can tell them the truth. You know, they can tell them what it's really like to be inside a building and what, what, you, what you really had to bring to the table and how much hard work you really had to put in. Because the biggest thing that the record industry had on us is an illusion. They had mm-hmm. that illusion of we are the NBA. We are the best. And so I was able to bring on A&Rs and executives from the labels to just tell the truth. This is mm-hmm. what's happening inside the building. It's really you putting in the work, which is going to add add fuel to the fire. You know what I mean? There is no magic button inside of this building, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's always just about educating artists, um, with the with the emphasis on controlling the wealth, keeping the wealth in your pocket.
1: Right, right. And you made Billboard's twenty twenty three Indie Power Players list. How did that yes. feel? That's a pretty big look. Congrats. That felt really good.
0: I mean. In 2023, just like, within the first two months, I already had the number one song on TikTok, the number one album on Billboard rap charts, number one album on Billboard independent charts, and the number one album on hip-hop and R&B charts within, like, the Mm -hmm. first 45 days of 2023. So, so, you know, I, I was... I was ecstatic to make that list, but I was like, if not me, who? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but but no, I, I was very ecstatic, you know, not just for me, for my team. Um, Drew, you know, he's an industry veteran, so he had experience, stuff like that. But but Jasmine, you know, that was her first really big look. Um, and so going back to NPR, something I didn't mention, when I started NPR, instead of going out and hiring A&R staff and all of that, I went out and hired a content team because I knew that this we're, our only and main focus was going to be content and so Jasmine was my first hire as our head of content and so just be able to like put her on that type of uh, pedestal was amazing you know
1: yeah okay cool so my last question to you would be what is your definition of a boss
0: it's so funny cuz so
1: many rap lyrics come to mind yeah so- <laughs> So many yeah, rap lyrics. It's your personal uh, definition. Because a okay. lot of people, they're like, wait, that's a that's a loaded question. Like, there's so many different, you know, answers that it could be. But your personal well, definition.
0: I, I'm going to give a little credit to LaRussell. What's
1: good, y'all? It's Aaliyah from the Young and Dumb Show. I have something for you. If you're young and interested in learning more about different careers, becoming an entrepreneur, and really getting into the bag, then be sure to check out and subscribe to The Young and Dumb Show. On this show, we sit down with the biggest, and I'm talking the biggest, career professionals, entrepreneurs, influencers, and entertainers to break down how to be successful in different industries. It's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. Let's get it, y'all
0: here because he he really Mm -hmm. changed my mindset in a few ways um just working with him but my Mm -hmm. my main goal as as a boss is to be able to pull up the people around me you know to be able to become millionaires um and and beyond and so I, I think a boss is anybody that can not only make profit for his family but make profit for his partners and the people that work up under him you know, how many, it's, it's like that Jay-Z line, like, you know, how many billionaires did Jay-Z make? You know? And so for mm-hmm. me, it's like, you know, at the level I'm at, it's like, how many millionaires did I make? And so that, mm-hmm. that's that's what a boss is to me. That's what I'm trying to be. I'm, I'm going to count my success on how many millionaires I created around me.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that answer. Mm-hmm. Thank you, JR. I really appreciate you chatting with me.
0: No, no, I appreciate you. I'm so happy that we were able to do this.
1: Yes, no. Please get some rest. I really again like I really appreciate you talking <laughs> to me while you're still like on the men. That means a lot for sure. No,
0: thank you. But, yeah. and, um congratulations on everything with this podcast. Even the title alone made me excited. I was like, Oh what? Okay, yes, yes, boss. Let's do some you. boss talk. Let's get
1: into it. <laughs> Yes, that's the goal, to, you know, highlight people, because I feel like a lot of bosses, they're behind the scenes, and they probably prefer that, but I feel like you guys tend to be so humble, and you guys kind mm. of forget that it's okay to, you know, talk about your boss rules, so that's the premise, <laughs> for sure.
0: Thank you, I really appreciate you yeah. for having me. again.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Making the Boss. Trust me, there's a lot more where that came from, so be sure to keep it locked for other shows coming soon. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter and IG at Aisha Thorpe. Talk soon, my bosses and bosses in the making.
0: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
1: This is ludicrous. But that
0: won't fix your home.